0: You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Hey, man, let's, uh, let's give uh, Andrew and Carly a thank you for uh, sharing. Uh, I have a, a few announcements as the uh, trays are going by. If you can uh, try to pay attention, write these down. These are also on our website. And then... Um, Uh, We'll jump right into the lesson today. Uh, We have uh, auditions coming up for um, this uh, crazy, wacky Christmas play that we did last year. We're doing it again this year called Night at the Nativity. And uh, we would love for uh, some of you to be able to participate. Uh, Even if you haven't acted before, just come on out and audition. There's no pressure, you know. um, It's actually a lot of fun. So that's going to be happening this weekend. Uh, The details are at the Facebook page. Facebook dot com slash night at the nativity you just do a search on facebook for night at the nativity you'll find it uh, next sunday is our monthly leaders meeting just to remind you those of you who lead small groups i believe the sh- those that are shepherds are invited as well teen leaders everybody you know all our leadership group we have lunch after church in the cafeteria so that's next sunday just a reminder about that i think that's our last one for the year uh actually we might have one in november but um uh we only have a couple left if so uh, also, want to let you know that Harvest Fest is coming up. Our annual outdoor service. Uh, those are uh, that's our door hanger. We're gonna have door hanger invitations, so you can just give them to people, or you can hang them on your neighbors' doors and things like that. So we'll have those for you next Sunday. Uh, but what this is, if you're visiting with us, we meet at Torrance Park. You might not even know there is a Torrance Park because it's kind of hidden in a neighborhood. But it's a really cool park. There's a band show there, and we have a worship service, uh, outdoor worship service there. And then following that, we have potluck meals a meal together and there's jumpers for the kids and all kinds of activities there's different booths set up with face painting and um, sometimes there's a pie throwing thing and um, uh, one year our kids all came home with goldfish that we didn't necessarily want but uh, because they had won them uh, in some contest Uh, last year there was these giant punching you know uh, sumo wrestler things and then they also had giant uh uh, what do you call them? Boxing gloves, so the kids could fight with each other with huge boxing gloves. And So anyway, it'll be a lot of fun. So make sure you mark your calendars. Uh, it's 11 a.m. worship service on October 25th. Invite. This is a great service to invite friends and family, people that don't normally go to church. Dustin Peckman's going to be preaching the Word that Sunday. Um, so that'll be awesome. Amen. All right, so the title of our lesson today is uh, Men and Women Hurdles. Uh, we're doing a series right now called... Uh, beautiful design. And uh, so last week, um, Steve talked about men and women's purposes. And today we're talking about the hurdles that they have to overcome. I added a kind of secondary title to it because uh, men and women hurdles sounds kind of negative. So reverse the curse. And basically that uh, we all have, a, you know, basically with this series, we're looking at God's design for men and women and, and, and trying to return to his original design But then within that design, there is a curse. There's an issue that that men have. There's an issue that women have. And how can we overcome those issues? And uh, so I'm going to be talking today about sin, uh, which is not a popular topic in our world today. Uh, I'm going to be talking about issues that women have, like what's wrong with them. Uh, I'm going to be talking about uh homosexuality and uh so you know basically a minefield of <laughs> political correctness and tolerance so you know what could possibly go wrong so i ask you please to uh be be gracious if i say something that offends you let's just talk let's get the bible open let's talk about it more uh, keep in mind jesus often offended people and uh, i am certainly not jesus he was perfect and he offended people so chances are i'm going to offend you with something i say I uh, just wanted to say thank you. Uh, it was awesome to get to watch our oldest son get baptized on Wednesday, uh, Jameson. And uh, it was really cool. Um, the, it was a beautiful, beautiful day, Wednesday. It was hot, but it was perfect at the beach, Wednesday night. And so right as, as you know, we were sharing about him, uh, the sun in the sky was being baptized into the water. Uh, and then we shared about him, and, and the literal sun was baptized. It was really cool. But I really appreciate you know, it takes a village, and I really appreciate all of you and, and your influence on our kids' lives, and, and uh, you know, if you're visiting with us, this is a great family here, and uh, there you get to a point in your parenting where, uh, I mean, Jameson respects me, and I feel respect from him, but if some younger guy says the same thing I've been saying for years, it's like gold, you know, like if Ryan Toomey says it, then it's legit, you know, <laughs> and so I'm so thankful to have that community of believers that, you know, our kids can look to people who are a little more their station in life, uh, and not just mom and dad, but so that was really awesome. So anyway, beautiful design. We're talking about God's design with this series, and a couple weeks ago, I, I, I preached, and I said something about how there was this huge discovery about the cosmos in 1998 that was just mind-blowing that you probably had no idea of, and then I didn't tell you what it was, and the reason was because I was, I, I, I said it then, but I said, I don't want to hit you with too much science class stuff, you'll you'll check out of me. And we watched that whole thing about the math, you know, uh, from the Nova thing. So I'll tell you what the story is now. Um, So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I kept you hanging for two weeks. I'm sure you were all like, what was that? Um, But in 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 1929, the Hubble uh, Hubble determined that uh, the Hubble telescope is named after him. He determined that our universe is expanding. And we all heard that, you know, growing up. We all heard this in school. The universe is expanding. Before, th- that was revolutionary. Because before this, the, the predominant thought was the universe has always been. And uh, that was what atheists would say. Oh, it's always been. And uh, there would be different arguments against that that theists or people who believed in God would make. But, but, uh, but you know, it's always been. So Hubble showed, no, it had a beginning. The universe had a beginning. And that name that you hear, Big Bang... Where that came from, that was actually a mockery. That term was a mockery by another scientist mocking Hubble saying, oh, yeah, like the whole universe began with a Big Bang. Right. That's where that term came from, if you, if you Google it or look it up. And, and so basically everything had a beginning. And scientists that were atheistic hated that because that means, well, why did it begin? And what was there before it began? And, and, and what does that mean that all time and space began at one time? And So anyway, so the universe was, was, had a beginning and, and self Uh, Space itself is expanding. Everybody assumed that the universe was expanding, but it had to be slowing down Because the universe is full of gravity and you know everything every piece of mass has gravity So eventually it's like if you throw a baseball in the air It might go up, but it's gonna eventually slow down right because of the gravity of the earth so the thought was that okay eventually the universe is gonna slow down and so Again, atheists that wanted to say the universe has always been would say, yeah, it's going to slow down, and then it's going to collapse on on itself, and then it's just a, it's like a cycle. It slows down and then collapses on itself. That's why the universe has always been, and there is no God. But in in 1998, this uh, scientist named uh, Reese at John Hopkins University was making these measurements on the farthest galaxies and on supernovas and determined that. It looked like not only was the universe expanding, but it was speeding up in its expansion. And, and he thought, this has to be a mistake. There's no reason for that. Why would the universe like expand and then, and then speed up? Is it, it's, that's like throwing a baseball in the air, and it goes up, and then it starts going faster. What is this? So it had to be a mistake, kind of wrote it off, but, but kept... Okay, well, that's what science, you look at measurements and you go, that seems weird. But, but scientists like that, because, okay, well, let's look into it further. And so they looked into it further and tried other things and at the same time scientists at Berkeley were discovering the same thing and 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 so eventually with enough uh, enough discoveries they, they realized no this is what's true the universe is not only expanding but it's speeding up in its expansion and he was eventually given the Nobel Prize not until 2011 so he discovered this in 98 but it wasn't until 2011 that he was given the Nobel Prize because it seemed so weird uh, that it was expanding uh, and and so this expansion, this rate of expansion, you can measure, and it's the measurement according to Brian Green is a a one, I mean sorry a zero zero point and then 122 zeros and then a one. So that's the rate of expansion. That's the that's the measurement of the expansion of the universe. So it's very very fine tuned, and if it were any different at all, there would be no universe. And so, again, it's one of those things, like so many other things, that you talk about that, why is it so fine-tuned? And the the, the rationalization that Brian Greene makes is, well, there must be an infinite number of universes, and we happen to be the one that the expansion is just perfect. Uh, And they don't even understand why it's expanding, so what they call it is dark energy. You've probably heard of dark energy. But dark energy just means we don't know what it is it's like dark matter we don't they've determined that most of the universe is made of something we don't know what it is so they just call it dark matter but it just we don't know what it is so they call it dark matter that dark energy and uh, to me what that what that says is just we think we're so smart and it's pretty cool that we have figured out all that we figured out but we really don't know much (laughs) we really don't know what most of the universe is made of this is a huge thing the universe is expanding and it's speeding up and we have no idea why we don't understand why so we call it dark energy. But to me, that just says God is, God, God is up there going, yeah, I, you know, I made all this. I designed it all. Why don't you listen to me? Yeah. Uh, why don't you? I gave you a book. I sent prophets to you. Now, I, I became a person and lived among you. And you still don't listen. You know, it must be so frustrating, uh, kind of like our parent, parents can be with our kids sometimes. Why don't you listen? So the the point of this series is that you can trust your Creator's design. He knows what He's doing. He designed men. He designed women. And so we got to go with Him and not what the world is saying, because the world is always changing in what it says about what it means to be a man, what it means to be a a woman, gender issues, gender confusion. It's more and more confusing in the world today, and uh, so we got to go with God and His plan. So men and women are different. Uh, I saw this on the Internet. Why women watch Titanic... Why men watch Titanic. Uh, There there might be some exceptions to that. Betty was like, you need to say why some women watch Titanic. It's like, okay, okay, but we all agree there are, are differences between men and women. And, uh, and God, but yet God made all of us in his image. So we talked about how in Genesis one, it says we were made in the image of God, male and female, he created them. So we all have the image of God, whether male or female, but then there's differences in our role. And so Steve talked about those a little bit. I'm going to kind of remind you of that a little bit in Genesis two. And if you turn to Genesis in your Bible, that would be great. If you're visiting with us, we actually have a free Bible for you at the information table. If you want to stop by there, uh, before you leave, um, as a gift to you. We're grateful that you're here. But it says uh, in Genesis 2.15, talking about the purpose of the man, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and care for it. So we talked about it last week about how men, our job is we are cultivators and keepers. Uh, The man is put there to cultivate. It's interesting that work is there before the curse we're going to talk about, right? Work is not a curse work itself is curse, we're gonna talk about it in a minute but work is good and there's something about men we like to work we like to be busy we like to um you know kind of even like feel like we had a good day if we got things done right yeah. Yeah. that's a difference between men and women. at least in my household it's a difference like one thing that i would hurt my wife's feelings sometimes is like if if she had had stuff to do and i had the kids all day how was the day and i'd be like oh i just didn't get anything done And so for her, it's like, what being with the kids is not getting something done. You know what I mean? But for me, it's like, oh, I want to accomplish things. I want to get this off my to-do list. I want to paint this. I want to. So I'm always wrestling with that, with the with the kind of getting work done versus the connections I need to make and cultivating my kids and cultivating that relationship. But I'm just saying, all guys, we have this kind of thing in us. We want to get things done. We want to work. We want to we want to create. We want to cultivate, cultivators and creators. And as that, men are, are called to be sacrificial, called to be the leaders. We're called to be the ones that, that, that take the fall. Like, if, if in your household, in the middle of the night, there's a the sound of breaking glass, I hope no guy here would be like, hey, babe, can you go check what that is? I shouldn't have sent No, we, we go and we, we get our baseball bat or we get, you know, our, our hunting knife or whatever we got. I'm going to go check this out. I got this. You know, the men are the ones that go into the front lines. The men are the ones, when, when in that movie theater in Aurora, Colorado, where there was three boyfriends that jumped on top of their girlfriends and they took the bullets and they died and their girlfriends lived. And we applaud that. Because we all know, instinctively, the man goes down, the woman goes free. Uh, that's who we are as men. We're supposed to protect. We're supposed to 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 to, to sacrifice. We're supposed to be the ones that take the fall. Uh, conversely, about the same time, you remember the uh, Concordia, that that cruise ship that was on its side, and we saw also that picture for a long time. There were stories of men pushing women and kids to the side to try to get into the lifeboat. and the whole world is like, "Where are those guys?" You know, we want to string them up and. And do something to him, because that is not right. The men are supposed to sacrifice. So we talked about, uh, man, we talked about woman. Uh, it said there is a, uh, missing a, I'm missing a verse that was supposed to be there at the top. I don't know, it must have disappeared. So the verse uh, says in Genesis 2.18, The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Yeah, I lost a slide somehow. Yeah, I don't know what happened. It was so cool before. (laughs) Okay, well, anyway, it says, uh, so it says, just write it down, Genesis, or look at it, Genesis 2.18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And then in Genesis 2.24, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. If he tries to not leave his father and mother, it doesn't go well. He leaves his father and mother. He's united to his wife. He builds a new family. And, and so the woman is there as the connector, the companion, the helper uh, uh, Steve talked about last week. And, and you can say, well, that's offensive. And women are just helpers. The, the, the term helper in the Bible, it's always used, except for here, it's always used for God. And so it doesn't mean that she's less. It doesn't mean that she doesn't matter as much unless you want to say God is less and God doesn't matter as much. The woman is, she makes it actually happen. She's the one that holds the details together. You know, the guy's like, hey, let's do this. And the woman's like, okay, how are we going to do that, you know, practically. Uh, Women are connectors. They're they're more naturally relational. Uh, Most households, the woman is the one that keeps the social calendar that's on top of, okay, who are we getting with? What are we doing? You know, uh, there are exceptions to these things, but in general... Uh, women are the connectors, they're, they're the companions. And man, man was incomplete without her. He needed her help. He needed someone in his life to manage, man, help manage things. Uh, the relationship is there. Just like work is there for the guy before the curse, relationship is there before the curse. And women are designed for relationship. You, 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 you want to see how this is true. You will, here's something you will never hear. You go out with a couple or a, a two or three couples, you will never hear a guy say, Hey, I need to go to the bathroom. You want to go with me? You will never hear a guy say that. We just don't think that way. Women are like, okay, I'm going to the bathroom. Hey, you want to go with me? Okay, they go together and they talk. They probably talk about the guy that they were just with as they're in the, in the bathroom. So there's differences of roles, but we both have the Imago Dei. We both have God's image. Now, what I am not saying, just to be clear, again, political correctness here, I'm not saying women can't be great leaders. And I'm not saying that men can't be great helpers. And I'm not saying women should not ever be in charge of anything. And I'm not saying that men can't be nurturing or great at connecting. We all have differences, and there's a big, bit of a spectrum in terms of gifts and personality. We all need to learn from each other. But the, the point is that we have different roles. And in relationship, particularly in marriage, we are much better together. In God's design, we are better together. And I know not everybody here is married, but every one of you was affected by marriage in terms of your family, in terms of how you grew up. And so we've all seen what, when this doesn't work, what what happens. And you've probably, you know, you've been a part of that. And many here, even if you're not married, aspire to marriage. And so this is important stuff, even as when I mentioned stuff about marriage, you know, it's important for all of us to hear. Now, here's the thing. It says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they had no shame. I don't think this is just talking about they were physically naked. It means that They had a connection. They were intimate. There was no no sin yet. And there was no shame. They felt no shame. Perfect. They were in a perfect covenant relationship. To truly know someone and to be known by someone is really what we all are looking for, isn't it? That's what we really all want is intimacy. And yet there are so many things that keep us from having that intimacy. And, And shame is a huge part of it. And, and, and why did shame come in? Well, the reality of sin comes along. Genesis 3. And uh, in the scripture that Andrew read talks about this, sin entering the world in this time. So we're going to read for a little bit here in Genesis 3. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Uh, we didn't read this, but earlier, and we probably all know this story, but in case you don't, God puts Adam and Eve in this beautiful garden. Adam's job is to care for the garden, to cultivate the garden. Eve's job is to be his helper and his companion in that work. And he says, You can eat from any of these trees. Uh, You're to rule over the animals. This is all your, everything's beautiful. Just don't eat of this one tree. And so, you know, uh, then Satan comes along and says, Did God really say you must not eat? from any tree in the garden notice how he that's not what God said right did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden so he twists it and so he kind of confuses it doesn't that happen today like oh God really says you need to hate gay people you know or God really says that everybody's going to hell or God really says this or God really you know that it's twisted what what the real truth is is twisted and so that makes you react to it right so that's what he does is he, he, he twists it. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree? So she's trying to correct him. The woman said to the serpent, verse 2, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. Serpent says, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Doesn't Satan still operate the same way? He, 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 he knows that you are going to... He's trying to keep something from you. He knows that, you know, if, if you go after this, you're going to really be happy. You're going to really have what you want. And he doesn't want you to have what you want. So he's trying to restrict you. You know, it's not, it's not what he says. It's not what's, what he's true. He gets her to doubt. Verse 6, When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom... She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. God says to him, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree. And I ate it. The Lord God said, to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me. And I ate. You know, so much that this is, I don't have time right now to get into all there is about this story. This story is, I mean, I believe there was a, a real Adam and Eve, but this is way more than just, a story. This is many, many layers to this, and it's it's some really deep poetry. It's really deep theological things that are in here. I don't fully understand it. This was this, this is way, way, way prehistory. You know, the, the Genesis was written down by Moses. You know, around 1400 BC, somewhere around there. So, so at the time, this is way, way, way ancient history to him. But this is something that he'd been passed on from God, from other prophets, from oral tradition. And there's a lot in here that, that, that uh, is so true even to this day. And that, like, like I said, Satan still operates in the same way. He still appeals to our selfishness and he still appeals to our pride. Really, all sin boils down to that, doesn't it? Our selfishness and our pride and thinking that we know better than God. God says you can't eat of this one tree. Why does he say that? People say, well, maybe that tree was poisonous and he, he didn't want them to be poisoned. There's nothing in there about that. God doesn't explain. There's a lot of times God doesn't explain. But he says, here's what I want you to do. Why? Because I'm God. Just because of his holiness, because of his righteousness, because he's the creator, there's always going to be some area that you just have to go, okay, God, because you're God, I trust you and I'm going to do it your way. Always. You will never, I mean, Christianity is a reasoning faith. Where you, you look at the evidence and it points to God, like I talked about earlier. And, and the truths of, of the Bible, they really do work when you put them into life. Jesus says, if you hold to my teachings, you're really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. In other words, if you put Jesus' teachings into practice, you will see that they work. Amen. And that truth will set you free. However, there's always a jumping off point where you go, okay, God, you've led me up to this point and I don't know what's next or I don't understand this but I trust you. God will always bring you to that point. If you're young and you haven't experienced that, it's going to happen. And so there's always something where God says, okay, this is the boundary. And you don't fully understand right now. With our kids, you know, there's a lot of that when they're little. There's a lot of that, a lot of boundaries. And we tried to, with our kids, we tried to teach them boundaries. We tried to not totally childproof our house, if you know what I mean. Like, uh, we, we didn't leave, like, detergent, you know, or, you know, poison down there where they could drink it or something. But, but we tried to, like, not totally child- prove it and, and try to teach them boundaries. So when we took them somewhere else, they would respect the boundaries that we had. But, you know, it's just all about those boundaries. You know, I remember when Jameson was really little and he, he would, like, reach out and touch something. No, no, no. And you kind of squeeze his hand a little bit and try and teach him that boundary. And so then he kind of looks at us and he puts his head on it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know is trying to ch- what's that boundary you know and, uh, and as they get older they take more responsibility and they, they determine for themselves what healthy boundaries are and that's what we, we're, a lot of us are, are going through a book right now called Boundaries with Kids and you're trying to get them to internalize their own boundaries but there are still areas where even as your kids get into their teen years where there are certain things they don't understand and you do and you try so hard not to say because I said so right because you hated it when your parents said that I hated that but there's times that you just have to go, look, this is it. This is the rule. And, and so God gives them this boundary and he commands it because he can. And so if you're here for your sake, like if you're here, I want to follow God because I want my life to be better. I want to find a believing husband. I want to find a believing wife. I see that Christianity works. If that's why you're here, that will not last. You know what I'm saying? There will be all that's true. But you got to there, there has to be a ground floor of I, I love God and I fear God and I'm going to do what he says, you know, because if you're here for self, that's always going to eventually be exposed. And so God God is, is saying not for your sake, but for my sake, I have this boundary and I want you not to to cross it. They cross it because they, you know, again, Satan's tactics are still the same, as I mentioned, uh, the heart of sin is still the same. What do I want? What do I need? Me, me, me. That's what always leads you into sin. And and a lot of these things are still the same. You know, men's passivity can still be the same. Adam stands back. Here is his wife interacting with Satan and he's kind of like, "Oh, I don't know." Right? <laughs> that can still happen today. Guys, we we we're <laughs> passive. We're not active. We're not engaged. We're not pre- he should have been protecting his wife. He should have been getting rid of he should have been cutting that serpent's head off. And yet he allowed her to enter into sin. And then he himself was drawn into sin. He allowed her to lead him into sin. Uh, Blame shifting is still the same today. You know, oh, it wasn't me. It was, you know, we always, we minimize and we blame shift. When it comes to being exposed, our sin being exposed, we want to minimize. Oh, it's not that big a deal. Everybody does it. It was their fault. It was her fault. Every, every husband wife relationship still in the church, even as disciples, you know, the guy is like, well, but she, Well, but she. She doesn't respect me. And the woman is going, well, but he he doesn't love me. He doesn't listen to me. He doesn't take care of me. And, and so Satan gets each of you to focus on the other one's issue so you don't change. Uh, because, and so there's something powerful about really understanding and being able to not accept sin like sin is okay, but accept that sin is real and that you are a sinner. Because in that, there is hope. It's a strange thing, but when you realize that sin is real and you are a sinner, there's hope because you can change. Amen. And you can be forgiven and you can be healed. Uh, there's a, a book from the 70s by a guy named Carl Menninger uh, called Whatever Became of Sin. Some of you may have read this before. He's an a, a MD, founder of the prestigious Menninger K- Clinic. He's a psychiat- psychiatric uh, doctor. And he writes this, listen to this. I am calling for a revival of the concept of sin. And what would be good of that, someone asked. Do we need more breast beaters? Should we add depression to the already mentioned gloom and world uneasiness? Why not a no-fault theology? No one to blame. Things just happen, alas. He answers this way, here is why. The assumption that there is sin in it somewhere applies both the possibility and an obligation for intervention. If if sin is real, then that means there's a possibility of change. There's a possibility of intervention in yourself or in others. Hence, sin is the only hopeful view. When evil appears around us and no one is responsible and no one is guilty, then no more moral questions are asked, and then there is, in short, nothing to do about it. So we sink to despairing hopelessness. Therefore, the consequences of my proposal for a revival of the consciousness of sin would be not more depression, but less. And this is, is not a, you know, this is not a minister, this is not a, a priest, this is a, a psychiatric doctor saying there's so much depression, there's so much hopelessness, the world is messed up. And yet the prevailing thought is everybody's okay, I'm okay, you're okay. There's many roads, you know, don't, the, the biggest thing to not do is judge. Just don't judge anybody, everything, is all, there's all kinds. You know, that's, it's moral relativism. That's what we live in today. And there's no judgment on anything. There's no right or wrong. There's no, it's just all relative. And he's saying, that, that's a hopeless world. Because then there's nothing you can do about it. And we all know intrinsically this world is fallen. There are, are problems in, in this world. And the problems in this world are because of sin. And thank God that he provides a solution. And so, because sin enters the world, there enters a curse. And this curse continues to this day. And the the whole world is under this this curse until the time that the curse will be removed, which we'll talk about. And so, the the curse is in in Genesis 16. I'm just going to read here. I put a couple of verses on the screen, but it says, To the woman, he said, I will make your pains and childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow. You will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return." So because of sin, these gender roles that we have are distorted. And so the man who's the cultivator, the keeper, he becomes, he makes an idol of power. And he becomes domineering. And his work becomes consuming. And, and, and he can't, it, it's like a treadmill. He can't get out of it. He's just, he's stuck in, his, in the work. And it's so common in our world today, that this, this curse, you see it. Uh, uh, all over, and, and so men will will tend to, women will tend to make an idol out of the relationship, uh, and, and so your desire will be for your husband, be he will rule over you. And I mean, this is this is our world today. for the, For the guys, uh, you know, work becomes consuming. Instead of instead of work being you know something from God and it's you interacting with God, it's, it's I just got to work, I got to work, I got to work. You escape your family to work, and you're at work thinking about. being at home you're at home thinking about work and it's just this it's just that what you see in this verse becomes true and uh i mean i I, we counsel couples where you know the all the woman wants is for him to to be at home and meet her needs and yet he's like i am meeting your needs i'm working right (laughs) i'm working i'm working don't you see this is what you need you know and 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 it's just this the same thing um men dominate women in in societies throughout history and, and so their domestic abuse is, I mean, Paul uh, Rodriguez is a policeman and he told me one time that basically like almost all calls are domestic abuse. I mean, th- just that's what they're doing. That's what these police are doing. I mean, if you watch cops, you probably see it. I, I haven't watched cops a lot, but most of them are that, you know, like it's, it's all about these relationships that are destroyed because of the curse. And so, uh, and fatherlessness is an epidemic in our society. And, and, and again, not looking from even a Christian perspective, but from a sociologist perspective or an economist perspective, those communities where you have fatherlessness, you also have all these other problems, all these other issues. Uh, and and uh, you, know, you, can, you can line it up. The, the communities that have the most issues have the most lack of dads, lack of fathers, lack of, of uh, protectors in, in, in the home. There, there was a years ago in in, in, a, in this one particular prison. They decided to have a program where they would do a, a Mother's Day thing, and they they would allow the inmates to make cards for their moms and do stuff for their moms. And there was this huge, it was hugely successful. They did all this stuff for the moms, and it was amazing. They said, "Okay, this was awesome. Let's do, let's try this for Father's Day." Nothing happens because none of these guys had relationships with their fathers. And and, and we've seen that. You know, I remember being in high school. And, you know, you're a teenager, you're trying to kind of figure things out and how the world works. And I remember coming to this realization and, you know, you, you kind of uh, in high school, it's like that's your whole world. You know, that's your microcosm. The whole world is that high school. And, and you kind of evaluate different people and you're kind of determining, you know, those guys are that group and those guys are that group. And, you know, you know, you know what I mean? You're kind of sizing up the different groups. And I was trying to kind of see where I fit into all of it. And I remember noticing that all the kids who did well in school, like they were achieving, they seemed to be uh, well balanced they seem to be doing well and you know uh, on their on their academics and everything that seemed seemed to be healthy. They all had both mom and dad at home and, I, and I, this is not psych psychologist looking at this is me as a high school student, but thinking through all my friends and going, "Wow, all of them have mom and dad at home, and the kids who have divorce and, and all these and, and domestic issues at home they 're really having a hard time and i 'm not saying there can 't be exceptions to both there can 't be Uh, There there are plenty of exceptions to both, but I'm just saying God's plan is for mother, father, and and a a mutually benefiting relationship where the husband has a role and the wife has a whole role and they complement each other and and the family is healthy. For the women, we see this in society as well, uh, where relationship becomes an idol. And where this shows itself sometimes is in comparison. There's this article uh, by Julia Oliphant called Why Do Girls Check Out Other Girls? And uh, it was in The Telegraph. It says, like it or not, we're all guilty of it. But it, it, be it an inconspicuous glance at the girl browsing the same clothes shop window as you, or the rather more blatant stares at the girl sitting opposite on the subway, we just can't seem to help ourselves. And a recent study has confirmed it. Women spend more time checking out each other than they do the opposite sex. And, uh, you know, there, there's, there's uh, this woman... Carolyn Walters, a body uh, image and woman sexuality specialist, she says, it's not just other women's clothes we're checking out either. It's practically every aspect of another woman's appearance, from hairstyle to tan, shape, size, even body hair and fat distribution. Whatever we deem to be more important ourselves. Here's another uh, doctor, Carolyn Sweet. She says, females are partly programmed to do it. Firstly, it's only natural to compare yourself as it gives you a point of reference, which can be reassuring. However, the harsh reality is that it's a cattle market out there and the commodity is male attention. Women are checking out the competition and identifying who the alpha female in the pack is. Women subconsciously put themselves in a hierarchy, she claims. Uh, You know, I'm not a girl, so I don't know, but (laughs) these are women saying this is a women's issue. And I can say, as a guy... I have gone to Women's Day for many years, <laughs> and I can say that women put a lot of work into their outfits for the Women's Day. I remember the first time going, wow, like, there's no guys here, but everybody is, like, as dressed up as they possibly can be. <laughs> when all the guys get together, it's like, how, how much of a, of a mess can I look like? You know, how... <laughs> It's not like that. We used to have men's day in the, in the church. It was like, Wednesday is so successful. Let's do men's day. So let's have a, a lunch at a hotel, and it's $40 a person, and you gather around at tables, and you all dress up and talk. I, 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 that was such a hard sell. That's not a guy. You know, guys are different. So women have this, this comparison curse. And, and we live in the land of, I mean, California, it's the land of plastic surgery, Right and so so you see this curse i showed this uh a couple weeks ago this study we we see it reflected here right this this survey what do women need to do to conform to female norms this was a survey of americans they need to be nice thin modest use all available resources for appearance what do men need to do to conform to male norms always show emotional control domineering right primacy of work pursuit of status violence you're you're tough ugh i'm I'm dominating (laughs) You see that curse reflected in our society. And so th- through God and through his kingdom, God wants us to be able to reverse the curse. God wants us to be able to, pr- to return to his original design for our roles as men and women. And this has a lot of, of sexual implications. Uh, you know, this, this is a mixed audience, so I won't, I won't get too into it. But just in terms of sin, and in, ser- in terms of selfish purposes of sex. Uh, of, of men objectifying women and seeing them as objects of pleasure rather than a relationship rather than somebody to to protect somebody to love somebody to adore it's it's a uh, it becomes objectified like obviously in pornography which is a huge problem in, in our society and pornography is so popular for men because it's the sex part without the relationship part it's 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 gratification without complication because a relationship, a marriage, it's a covenant relationship. You're, you're dedicated to one another. And, and the shame, the point is that you remove the shame. And so you're restored to a covenant relationship. But but it's a complicated relationship in that it's your men and your women. You have issues, you have problems. And so sex is supposed to be in that environment where it's protected by the covenant. And it's part of connection. It's part of relationship. Pornography and, 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 and other sexual issues with men take it out of that and put it over here. And so that the guy doesn't have to do anything. He doesn't have to make sure his wife's doing well. He doesn't have to meet her needs. He doesn't have to, you know, have a conversation and make sure she's feeling great before they get into the bedroom. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it, it's, that's why it's so appealing for guys, because I can, can control it. And you can't control your wife. Or if you do, then it's, it's an unhealthy relationship. And so you see it in all kinds of ways. Uh, and and, and there's a, I could do a whole sermon on this first, but Romans 1, I want to read a little bit of, and we're going to look at it just really briefly. Because it it parallels this curse. I put a couple of the verses on the screen. But The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, the eternal powers, divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so people are without excuse." Uh, again, the creation that we, we read about in, in, in Genesis, God's design, God's plan. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. Boy, that is our society today. But in their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. You say, well, we don't do this today. We don't have idols. We do have idols. I mean think of all the people that are worshipped, the Kardashians or the whoever. You know that people worship humans. They worship other things instead of worshiping God. Instead of glorifying football, I heard somebody say. Uh, Therefore, God gave them over in sinful desires to their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. The world degrades bodies. Sex becomes, oh, it's it's nothing. It means nothing. It's the degrading of the body instead of being special and beautiful and something amazing God made. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men, received in themselves the due penalty for their error. You know, homosexuality is part of this this progression of sin, and it's all the same. It's all the same curse. So I don't want to say, you know, p- people are uh, who are are homosexual are it's way worse sin than sex outside marriage. It's the same. It's all the same thing. It's all uh, it's all that our gender roles have been all messed up, me- messed up and distorted, and and, and and it comes into play in in, in our sexual sexuality so often. Um, in the campus, when I was in the campus ministry, um, we had a household of four guys, and two of the guys had come from a homosexual background, and they were now living as straight guys. They were disciples, uh, and you know, so I got to have you know a lot of conversations with them, and we were good friends. And, and there was uh, other people in, in the campus ministry there in, in Metro that had come from that background, and there was not. Again, this is just me and my experience. There was not a, a, a guy that i've known that came from that background that had a healthy relationship with his father or that had a good family rela- background and and you know the thing that everybody says today is oh they're born this way you know there's songs about it born this way if you're homosexual you're born this way and everybody's just trying to keep you from how you were born my argument is that we all are born this way in some way or another some people are born this way when it comes to being overweight, some people just will never have a problem with being overweight. Some people just will always have a problem with being overweight because of how they were born. Does that mean they don't deal with it? No, they deal with it. Some people are born this way in terms of anger. Some people are born this way in terms of addiction. We're all born with different ways that we fall short of the image of God. But, but through family, through true family, through, through living God's plan, those things are corrected. There was a, a guy who, who wrote a, a book about he studies psychopaths you know psychokillers. killers and uh, he studied like these these indicators of someone who has this certain kind of mentality where they could become a psychopath and the more he, he discovered that he himself had those things <laughs> So then he's like, is this why I got into this field? I mean, like this, it blew his mind, but he, but he grew up in a warm and nurturing family. He never, it never became an issue for him because of the family that he grew up in, because of the, the protection he had, but he still had, he was still born this way, a psychopath. Uh, I'm, not say, I'm not trying to compare being a psychopath with being homosexual. I'm just saying we all have issues, and through God and through his plan, that's how those issues get fixed or get helped or get healed or, or whatever, um, I read this book uh, as a class I took. This was one of the required reading books. Uh, and uh, it was called A Parent's Guide to Preventing Homosexuality. The, the class was all about uh, counseling and different uh, aspects of counseling. We had to read about five, six different books, and this is one of them. And uh, I just want to read this to you because this is what I saw with, with my friends in terms of, uh, of these guys and how they grew up. It says, most of these men remembered themselves in boyhood as unathletic, somewhat passive, lonely, except for female friends, unaggressive and uninterested in rough-and-tumble play and fearful of other boys whom they found both intimidating and attractive. Many of them also had traits that could be considered gifts. They were bright, precocious, social, relational, artistically talented. But because most of these men had not been exactly feminine as boys, their parents had not suspected anything amiss, thus they made no efforts at seeking therapy Based on the inside, these men had, as boys, been highly ambivalent about their own gender. Many had been born sensitive and gentle, and they just were not sure that maleness could be a part of who they were. Some writers have aptly referred to this condition as gender emptiness. Gender emptiness arises from a combination of sensitive inborn temperament and a social environment that does not meet this child's special needs. The temperamentally at-risk boy needs, but does not get, Particular affirmation from parents and peers to develop a secure masculine identity. Such a boy then, for reasons of both temperament and family dynamics, retreat from the challenges of identifying with his dad and the masculinity he represents. So instead of incorporating a masculine sense of self, the pre-homosexual boy is doing the opposite, rejecting his emerging maleness and thus developing a defensive position against it. Later, though, he will fall in love with what he has lost by seeking out someone who seems to possess what is missing within himself. This is because we fall in love with what is not the familiar, but the other than me. And, you know, it goes on and on. Uh, At one point, he says, perhaps there are exceptions, but I have never met a single homosexual man who said he had a close, loving, and respectful relationship with his father. And uh, this is a guy, he's a PhD, uh, he has a practice, he counsels people who have same-sex attraction, and, and they're managing it, but they don't want to live as homosexuals. And uh, it's a great book, I definitely recommend it, I'll, I'll leave it up here if you want to look at it later. But the point is that, uh, you know, we all have, again, we all have differences. We, we grow up, and, and gender can be confusing as we're reaching those puberty years. And in the book it talks about as many as one quarter of, of people have kind of gender issues. But then they, in, the, in their community, they get helped or reinforced or whatever, and then they kind of find themselves. And so uh, we need to be a place where we help each other with, with this. We, you know, the men are helping the younger men to be men. The women are helping the younger women to be women. That's what the church is supposed to be. And it's a safe place for trying to figure it out. Uh, because what happens, he talks about in the book, what happens if somebody is kind of in that zone of trying to wrestle with this stuff, and then they have, you know, a school counselor or somebody go oh they don't understand you you really want to be a girl and you should be a girl and that's reinforced and that's reinforced and then they get really confused and you know that that's what's happening in our world today there's another un, and this is unpopular to talk about again so again if, if i'm offending you then i'm sorry let's talk afterwards but there's a, a guy who did all this research a guy from john hopkins university did all this research on people who have gender reassignment surgery and found that most of them are end up way less happy than they were before Cause they're looking for something that doesn't get filled that they think is going to get filled by, by that. And so the, the point is that we in the kingdom of God can reverse the curse. God's plan for men, women relationships, not just marriage, but singles as well. The, the way that we interact with one another can help us to fulfill our God given roles. Next week, uh, Dustin is going to be talking about this in terms of redemption, in terms of God's plan. How do we redeem this curse? But to just give you a, a short preview uh, you know, men, what I want to challenge you with in terms of returning to being the cultivator and being the keeper is to choose cultivation over comfort. Single guys as well. Don't be passive. Don't be lazy. Go, okay, I'm going to step out. I'm going to do something for God. I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to cultivate the kingdom. I'm going to cultivate my relationships within the church. I'm going to cultivate my relationships with my kids. It's interesting in Hebrews six, uh, Ephesians 6 where it talks about parenting it says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. It's said to the fathers, because the fathers are the ones that can tend to be passive, that can take a step back. The mother's there with the kids. She's trying to help them, and the guy's watching football or, to, you know, not engaging. And so the guys, it's up to you. To, you've got to be a cultivator. You need to have set up family devotionals for your kids. Uh, engage in the congregation. Um, I'll say two things about family devos really quick. You can do the same one over and over when your kids are little and they love it. Don't feel like you got to be creative. Just pick a family get them to help you do a family devotional and just do it every week. But it's the same one. They watch the same Barney tape over and over again, our kids. So, and then push through like the family devotional is just getting the Bible open and talking and having a good time. Don't get angry. Like I used to get angry in family devos sometimes because, you know, you're supposed to be listening. Can't you listen? To, I'm trying to do a family devotional. Because you know? <laughs> they're like not listening and I end up more angry. Forget it. <laughs> so you got to you know, stay in the zone and keep working it. For the women, uh, find contentment and connection in Christ. Uh, don't get caught up in the world and, and the world, the way the world, all this comparison stuff I was talking about. But Jesus will fill you in a way, even for the married women, that your husband never can. Jesus will fill those needs. God will fill those needs. The Bible says, cast all your anxiety on him for he cares for you. Uh, 1 Peter 2 is a great passage for wives because it talks about God, you trusting in God to the point that even if your husband's not a Christian, that you, can, you have so much trust and security in, in God that your husband can be won over because of who you are and your trust in God. It talks about Sarah and Abraham and Sarah had to trust God because Abraham did some really wacky stuff. And so uh, depending on God making him your uh, companion. i got to wrap this up here. Okay. So, uh, to close out here, I just want to read uh, this last part of the curse. It's, it's to the snake. He says, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly. You will eat dust all the rest of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. That's, again, reading from Genesis 3. So, this is not a just-so story. This is, not, this is how the serpent lost his legs. You know, this, There's something more real to this uh, in, in terms of this curse. And it's, it, it's kind of like the, the rainbow. I think with the rainbow, it, it's not saying that God, that's the first time there ever was a rainbow. He's saying now when you see that rainbow, you, it reminds you of this covenant. Same thing, when you see, uh, when you see the serpent, it reminds you of... You know, there's two kinds of people. There's those that follow the serpent and there's those that follow me. There's those that are in my image and there's those that listen to that voice. And so there's enmity enmity between it. We're in a spiritual battle, right? That still continues. And many scholars view this verse as a prophecy about Jesus. That it says, you will strike his heel and he will crush your head. That on the cross, Jesus was tortured. He died a horrible death. And yet he destroyed Satan and the power of death in that act of dying on the cross. So, so it's, it's, a, it's, it's a prophecy about Jesus, and, and uh, Dustin will talk about that next week. No one in this room is unaffected, untainted by sin. But ultimately, we're on our way to a place where, uh, I don't have time to read it, but in Revelation 22, it describes the new Eden, that we're returning to Eden. And it, it describes it with the same terminology, the tree of life. And it says, no longer will there be any curse so as we're here living in the kingdom of god god's kingdom is here among us and we are reversing the curse in our relationships with one another in our connection to each other in the kingdom and we're on our way to that heavenly eden where there will no longer be any curse Uh, together let's reverse the curse amen let's stand and sing a final song